One parent, two kids, 422 national park sites. This is Expedition National Parks. Dispatches and stories from one family's journey to discover the natural, historical, and cultural treasures of the United States. The fact that they're going through the, uh, the Rockies along the Colorado River where you can't even take a car sometimes. There's places where you can't even, it's not accessible except by maybe a kayak or rafter, rafting trip. And there's places where you can't even see some of the scenery from a car. So the train is the only way to do it. So we hope to keep this train on for a long time. Thank you for joining us on our second episode dedicated to trains and their connection to discovering national parks and the United States. On our last episode, we spoke about the Trails and Rails program, a great partnership between Amtrak and the National Park Service, which enhances chain rides by providing volunteer guides who explain and give context to what the passengers are seeing out the window. We were lucky to have the Trails and Rails guides on our Southwest Chief trip between Kansas City and Los Angeles in 2017. In 2020, we took two other long-distance trains, the Sunset Limited in January and the California Zephyr in March. We took both trains on the full route, the Sunset Limited from Los Angeles to New Orleans and the California Zephyr from San Francisco to Chicago. All of our trips were in coach and each time we were afraid we would get bored. My mother brought books and work for us to do, but she never got to it. We never got tired of looking out the window and chatting with fellow passengers who came from all walks of life. COVID-19 has changed the train operations quite a bit since we travel, but we recommend you seriously consider a long distance train ride at some point in the future. And if you don't believe us, maybe you'll believe one of our beloved conductors, Brad Schwarzwalter from the California Zephyr. We were lucky to have him as our conductor. This was his response when we asked him what he would tell someone who was considering a journey on a train. Oh, I'd say jump on and enjoy it. Uh, you know, a couple of things. Uh, number one is that because we go so many miles, our on-time performance isn't something you can absolutely rely on. Like you could say a... Uh, uh, a commuter bus. So don't be in a hurry. Second, open your mind to meet new people because that's a lot of the fun as well because you meet people from everywhere. And the third thing is that most of the people that get the most out of the trip have done a little bit of study before they take the trip to know what they're going to see. So there's some anticipation and then realization. That makes a lot of difference to folks. And these were his suggestions on how to best prepare in order to maximize the anticipation and realization. The rail guides are excellent. Then there's there's several books, uh, rail ventures, etc., that that you can pick up for a song on Amazon, and read through those, and they'll give you a description almost mile post by mile post. Uh, and Amtrak is actually doing an effort now to try to put together new rail guides that will be online. Um, the cost of printing on paper seems to have gone by the wayside. We don't want to spend that money or have that waste anymore. And everybody's got, hold on just a second. Everybody now has a device where they can call it up uh, and, and be able to see what they're looking at online and, and get a description of it. Like right here going through Newcastle and if you look up on the side of the hill here well it was just a few minutes ago huh? but there's burning coal seams deep underground that cause all the snow to melt in certain spots oh, wow. um, you know really interesting little things like that that are all over the place right and sometimes though you read about it like like the koala I couldn't find the koala oh shoot 
Well, you got to come back again, and I'll right, show right, it to you right, again. Right. No, I wasn't sure which part of the canyon canyon it was. You no, almost need somebody pointing at that right. one. Right. That's why when they're in the lounge car with the docents, I mean, it helps. But this is thank you very much because it is very helpful because you feel like yeah you you could just see the scenery but you have no idea like the history or the geological or, you know the social oh. cultural everything. That's right. Uh, pardon me. And. And the amount of information that is out there is just overwhelming. Right. Like, right now, in just a couple of minutes, we're going to pass Storm King Mountain on the left. And there was a tremendous wildfire there several years ago. And eight uh, firefighters lost their lives fighting the fire. And then the wind shifted and the wind blew the ember storm right at them. And there was no way to outrun it. And they got caught. And... You know, one of the biggest tragedies in Colorado history, and we're going by it right now. So no, there's every inch, basically. Yeah. Yeah. There's there's not a place that's not interesting. He also explained to us how popular the train ride is and how it boasts some of the most beautiful views in the world. Get a lot of tourists on this. Ride. Oh gosh, yeah. Especially between Denver and Glenwood Springs in the summer. It's kind of an international crowd. We have a lot of people from Europe and Asia and South America, um, especially between those two. Not not so much from the Salt Lake to here, but once you leave here, um, and not so much this time of year, but it's a huge international crowd. And in uh, June and July, just filled with people from all over the world, all over the world. And yeah. what do you, what yeah. what have you discovered that they found most interesting? Uh, the fact that they're going through the uh, the Rockies along the Colorado River where you can't even take a car sometimes. There's places where you can't even, it's not accessible except by maybe a kayak or rafter, rafting trip. And there's places where you can't even see some of the scenery from a car. So the train is the only way to do it. So we hope to keep this train on for a long time. It would be a shame to have to lose it. Yeah. yeah. And why, what would you tell people who are afraid or, or, or not really thinking of a long distance train journey or a, a train journey? What was the question? A lot of people don't consider train travel. No. I know they you? don't and it's a shame they should. I mean, everybody is such a rush to get there, but if you have the time, or a lot of times I tell people, maybe take the train one way and then fly the other way, you know, to allow yourself more time. And Unfortunately, in this day and age, the train isn't on people's minds. It's not, uh, people just don't think of it anymore, you know. Whenever, whenever you have the holiday season coming up, like especially around Thanksgiving and all the newscasters are talking about, you know, how many people are traveling this weekend, they always say the, the buses, the cars, the, the, the airplanes, but they never say the trains, and it irks me so much. It just really irks me. And now it is time for our outdoor org feature. Do you want to help diversify public lands and outdoor spaces? We're encouraging our listeners to look to the leaders who are making changes within the outdoors industry to fight for social justice within outdoor spaces. Alongside other content creators this month, we're featuring the Youth Opportunities Program, or the YOP for short. YOP, part of the Appalachian Mountain Club, aims to train and support educators with resources so that there is equal access to outdoor experiences for their groups of young people especially those whose racial identities are underrepresented in outdoor spaces. Follow hashtag AMCYOP and hashtag Youth Opportunities Program on Instagram to learn more about their organization. Check the episode description for links to their website to learn more as well as donate. It's, it's pretty cool stuff. And this one's great because you go through some of the best scenery during the day. If you don't. On purpose. Right, yeah, no, like... Um, a lot of people don't know it. The, the original California Zephyr was laid out in 1949 by three railroads, the Burlington, the Rio Grande, and the Western Pacific, which has since 
boiled down to just the Burlington Northern Santa Fe Railroad, Denver to Chicago, and the Union Pacific, Denver to California. And when they laid it out, they wanted to have a schedule that gave the most scenic areas, the Sierra Nevada and the Colorado Rockies, during daylight hours. And the areas where we're going the fastest, 79 miles an hour, in the night so that you could enjoy the, the sleep at high speed going through uh, Iowa, Nebraska and going through the deserts of Montana, uh, of Nevada. And that, that worked really well. Uh, and and you, you don't get that per se up on the, on the Empire Builder because in the wintertime you do the cascades in the dark. You leave Seattle at 4 o'clock and then it's dark and you don't see... Skykomish and Exeter and all these fantastic places up in the Cascades. In the summertime you get them, but uh, you, you, you'll miss Kalispell and, and you won't see the uh, Flathead Tunnel and all these wonderful things on the Empire because the schedule doesn't allow it. This excerpt is a great example of the camaraderie of the train passengers, as well as the informative and entertaining way Conductor Brad explained what we were seeing. to the earth as you will ever go in your entire life, before or after. The Transcontinental Railway was built about 100 miles north of here in Wyoming. This wasn't built until 1903-1904 by the richest guy in Colorado, David Moffat, who wanted to build a competitive railroad right through the heart of the Rockies, not around them. So that's why it's shorter, right? It's, it's, it's like a shorter route. Shorter. It's a little bit shorter and it's a whole lot cooler because the uh, prairie of Wyoming on the windswept tundra is really nice, but it's not that nice. So that's why the Golden Spike is a promontory, because it's further north. Way up north. Okay. So is that, that's no longer used for Amtrak service, or no. like passenger service? No, okay. just freight trains. So what part of this Zephyr is the original transcontinental? Does it Donner Pass. Donner Pass. Okay, so you can see the Continental Divide shrouded oh, in snow oh. and clouds up above. And then down below, you can see Gross Reservoir Dam. So, did you hear what the fish said when he ran up against a concrete wall? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Damn. <laughs> it's the only swear word I'm allowed to say with my hat on. 
<laughs> As Brad said, a bit of preparation goes a long way. While traveling on the Southwest Chief, we saw that there were podcasts developed for some of the journeys. So when we took the Sunset Limited, we were grateful to the partnership between the National Park Service, Amtrak, and the Department of Recreation, Park, and Tourism Sciences at Texas A&M for the podcast series which we had downloaded and had ready on our phone. As Conductor Brad said earlier, knowing more about the scenery leads one to appreciate it more. We also advised to look at the train schedules closely. We were pleasantly surprised to discover that the California State Railroad Museum in Sacramento had its own arrangement with Amtrak to put on guides between Sacramento and Reno. We had looked for trails and rails programs, but our schedule didn't allow for it. So we were excited to have two volunteers narrate the scenery on our first day on the California Zephyr. We were fortunate to speak to the volunteers to find out why they do it. Are we doing this? Yeah. Obviously, sure do. What, what part of it yeah, do you enjoy? For, for uh, <coughs> it's a volunteer thing, so <coughs> if I didn't enjoy it, I wouldn't be here. <laughs> right. But what, what, what makes it interesting to you guys, to you both? Well, we retell the, the same story over and over again, but it's always interesting to hear um, about the development of California. Because you got to remember, before 1850, before California became a state, there weren't too many people from east of the Mississippi here, right? They, they were the gold seekers, but um, once that kind of tempered down, there weren't too many people here, but uh, um, there were, you know, word was passed to the east about, uh, you know, the, the, the riches of California. And, uh, you know, so entrepreneurs figured, wait a minute now, if we build a railroad, and there's all this agricultural, potential agricultural land in California, money can be made not from growing. And to give you a taste for what types of stories they tell. The biggest little city in the world, and then it will be the next stop on the line. The railroad reached this area in 1868, named the community Reno in honor of Union General Jesse L. Reno, who was killed in the Civil War. The original town of Reno was constructed on railroad property, laid out in construction by the railroad and sold to individuals. In 1872, the famed Virginia and Truckee Railroad began operating from Reno right outside the station doors on the street outside the station, south about 40 miles to Carson City. And then from Carson City up the hill to the silver mines of the Comstock Road at Virginia City. As a result of the interconnection to the uh, Virginia and Truckee, Reno became a major training center. The elevation in Reno is 4,500 feet. We traveled 48 miles from Donner Summit and dropped 2,439 feet. We are 152 miles from Sacramento. Thank you for listening to this episode of Expedition National Parks. A reminder to please support the Youth Opportunities Program, and remember, we appreciate your feedback. Please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what topics you would like to see in future episodes. As always, please remember and follow the Junior Ranger motto, Explore, Learn, and Protect.